Hey, my name's Ian Begley. You're watching the NBA Exchange with Dexter Henry. What up, everybody? Happy Wednesday to everybody. Hope everybody's been having a good week. I had a pretty good week, and welcome to the NBA Exchange. My week's been going great. Yesterday was the birthday. Had a nice, relaxing, self-care birthday. Feeling good, feeling refreshed. I made it all about me, which is what y'all should do. Take care of yourselves on your birthday. I was able to do that, but I'm glad to be back with everybody because, of course, even on my birthday, even on my birthday, still watching basketball because basketball never stops. You know what else stops here that we don't do on Wednesdays? Hot takes. We don't do that on Wednesdays. It's NBA Nuance with Wednesday time. And so my man Gerard Hector is here joining me as usual. My man Gerard is here. Gerard, how you doing, man? Are you as refreshed as I am today? I mean, I'm doing cool. I'm not as good as you, man. You out here at spas. I see pork, <laughs> I see pork chops and red wine and the in, in the Instagram stories. I mean, you know, I ain't living like that. But yo, I, I, yo, it's crazy. I didn't even post my dinner that I had last that night. Was just that lunch. was just a lunch. The dinner. I was at a little Italian spot. Okay. Uh had a little uh, linguine and seafood mix okay. that was absolutely okay. fantastic with some wine, of course, because of course. that's how we do. Got, got do um, so it, it was it was fantastic there. I had a good birthday, very relaxing. Gerard actually talked to Gerard before. I talked to Gerard before I went in the spa yesterday and after I went. Mm-hmm. So we got the different side of both energies. There. I mean, you you you, <laughs> you had the I, I need some me time right before, yeah. and then when you came out, you were centered, you were balanced, just like how we do this show. New man, this this is what we're about. <laughs> you know, it's crazy though as you get yeah. older, Dexter. You know, when you were younger, what like was like what you want to do on your birthday and what's popping and all that. You want to be out with like a bunch of your friends and go yeah. tear it up. Yo, the older you get, bro, it's like, man, I want a nice dinner and a nice bottle of wine and I'm good. Like, I don't, right? like, I don't Yo. need like. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, 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 it's so, it's so on point. Like, that's what I, where I am now. I'm like, if I get time to myself and I get to do some relaxing stuff, like, you know, I also had to, I spent time with, with some family last night too. So that was fantastic. But if I get time to myself, mm-hmm. that's like beautiful. Yeah. I'm not trying, look, man, I'm, I ain't mad at the kids out there doing it. I'm just Do not you? out there trying to turn up. I ain't hitting no club for my birthday. No, that, that's a, it's a, it's a dub on that. Uh, we, we ain't doing that no more, Mm-mm. but I had a good time. I was, I, f- I had a great birthday. It was actually, pro- you know, cause the last couple of ones been through the pandemic. pandemic we still yeah. are in a pandemic. True. Um, but this one, you know, it's a little bit more freeing yeah. because some places and people have done yeah. things to keep us safe. So mm-hmm. that, is, that, that is good. But we're going to talk some basketball. And before we get into what we have to talk about today, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, and I believe Gerard was here on the show for this, look, when people get eliminated, when things happen, we got to pay them the proper respect. This is what we have to do. Now, the Brooklyn Nets... I had my man Chris Milholland on here the other day. He predicted it. He said the Nets would not win in game four. I did not think they would either. The Nets went home in game four. The Nets were the first team eliminated from the playoffs. The Nets were the only team that did not win a single game in the playoffs, which is crazy considering the expectations. And shout out to my man Josh Eberle. He had this stat about how they were the first team since 1984-1985 that were the preseason favorites and didn't win a single game in the NBA playoffs. Absolutely crazy. The Atlanta Hawks, they also got eliminated too. 
But when teams get eliminated, <laughs> our producer Greg is here. You know how we pay them the proper respects. Greg, hit it. You know what we do. Come on. No. Taps. You gotta, you, oh, gotta, you gotta play. You gotta play taps on them. And as we play taps on them, we got my man Manny here in the chat giving respect to the Celtics defense. You know, even though even though my boy Manny, Manny was talking to that uh Nets and seven. None of that Nets and seven, Manny. You I mean, know, it, you know, it, I love you. None of that it, Nets It's and wild. Seven. Before we get into it, Dex, like what do you how do you feel about the Knicks fans out there that are like you know, gloating and like, ah, you know, we're, you know, we're the 2021-22 Nets won the same amount of playoff games as the Knicks, ah, and all this stuff. And I'm like, listen, I get it. Y'all want to like do the whole thing about how we still run New York. But when you can, when you do shit like that to me, it tells me how much the Nets are in your head, right? Because why, because if you run New York and you're all that, you don't care about what the Knicks are doing or, or I, what the Nets are doing. You minding your own right. business. You're like, we good money. I don't care what y'all do. I don't understand. Listen, I don't understand. I'll put it like this. I don't understand it, right? Like, I don't understand it at all. Like, if you're a Knicks fan, why you'd feel some kind of way about what the Nets fans are doing. As somebody who's rooted for the Knicks there pretty much their entire life, I have no hate towards the Nets. I have no ill will to wish them towards the Nets. The Nets do their thing, and, and the Knicks do their thing. That's kind of it. When we play them, you want to beat them. But listen, I'm Brooklyn proud through and through. Anybody that's wearing Brooklyn on the chest, I don't want to see y'all doing bad. I don't want to see things looking bad when you got Brooklyn on the chest. So I, I don't understand it, but I agree with you. I think it does show that those yeah. fans are uh, there's I mean, insecure they were, fans on both sides, Gerard. But they're oh in yeah, head a little bit. Yeah. I mean, they they were you had Knicks fans rooting for Boston. That's how, that's how much that's, y'all that's, like, that's yeah. Come on, I'm <laughs> come like, on. Like, what, what are y'all doing? And the other thing. You know, not to like, you know, rub salt in the wound, but yo, what has your franchise done in the last 25 years that you out here beating your chest? Like, listen, <laughs> I, listen, you, you shouldn't be beating your chest about anything. We saw, I've said it on this show. We saw how Bing Bong went to all wrong. We saw that. Okay. Like, listen, you got to be real about these things and, and like be a realist as a fan. But you know, there's, there's, there's realistic, there's level headed fans and there aren't. And I always see that in all, all fan bases and all sides. So I think it's funny. And I think, listen, if you're waiting for a moment for another team's demise to then take shots, yo, you corny. You corny. <laughs> like, I'm just kidding what it is. You corny. Like, you don't have to do all of that. Like, just, just worry about the team. The Nets are going to worry about getting better next year. Hopefully the Knicks can also focus on getting better mm-hmm. and doing mm-hmm. things. And New York basketball will be great. And maybe the teams play each other in the playoffs. That mm-hmm. would be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that will be good. So, you know, Manny says Nets getting eliminated is supposedly a chip for Nets fans. I mean, if, if that's your thinking, like Gerard is saying, yo, you're, to me, that's a loser mentality. Yeah, that's, you whack. You whack. Yeah, you that. whack. I'm just, you whack. Like, either side. I'm just saying on both sides. Right. Both sides. Fair. Nets fans, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nets fans, too. If that's the way you're thinking, you're whack. Okay. Uh, enough talking about the Nets. Sorry we had to play taps on you. But, you know, like I said, we, we got to pay the proper respect. That's all we do. That's for the Hawks, too. Uh, last night, Gerard. I was out, so I did not get to watch as much playoff basketball as I like, but I did I did see the end of that Grizzlies game. And the Grizzlies and Suns, they both win last night. They take three-two leads. 
Were you impressed with both of the wins for these teams? I was very impressed with what I saw from the Suns down the stretch. The Grizzlies coming back. John Morant looked great in the final couple of minutes. Uh, what were your takeaways from these game fives? Uh, I just want to say, first of all, that I got back on the back on the right track, the winning track gambling. Last week, the streak ended, right? I wouldn't give you any winners. Back on the winning streak last night. The Grizzlies were excellent down the stretch, and I said this about the Minnesota Timberwolves. They're super talented and very good. Carl Anthony Towns, you know, say all the things you want about him, putting extra bass in his voice when it's not really there, all, all that jazz. He's supremely talented, and he played really well down the stretch. But that Minnesota Timberwolves team, to me, will always let you back in the game because their collective IQ was just not high. They make silly and dumb basketball plays all the time. And, you know, it happens. We, we saw it in game three. They blew two, two. 25-point leads. I mean, that's, you know, that's number one. Um, and then, yes, down the stretch, you know, Memphis, Ja did his thing. They, they, they played some defense. They got stops when they needed to. You know, and this is a larger thing about Memphis going forward. Whenever their playoff run ends, and I said this to you yesterday, the playoffs do something that people don't seem to realize. Because, again, most casuals don't watch enough regular season basketball. They watch the big games that come on ESPN and TNT, but they're not on league pass daily watching teams. It's very easy to cover up your warts in the regular season when you're playing three games in five nights, you're flying in Orlando on a Tuesday, you got to go to Detroit on Thursday. It's easy to cover that up because teams aren't scouting you like that. In the playoffs, all your weaknesses get exposed and put on front street. And for the Memphis Grizzlies, that half-court offense has got to get better because John Morant is really the only reliable creator, although Desmond Bain is showing us some stuff off the bounce this year, this series as well, and playing really well. They foul entirely too much. You know Triple J is my guy. Like in the offseason, that is something he has got to work on because when he's on the floor, the, the Timberwolves are terrible. They can't score when he's on the floor because he's so excellent checking the paint and switching out. But he's literally only played like 100 of the possible 200 minutes that, that are available, right? It, it's just he he needs to get better and develop uh, his offensive game as well. But impressive win by the, by the Grizzlies last night. As far as the Pelicans, yeah, I, I knew this was coming as well. The Pelicans were the number one team all year for a reason. I'm sorry, the the Suns. Number one team all year for a reason. They execute down the stretch. And they had the top number three offense, number three defense. Only team in the top five in both. They did it on both ends of the floor last night. They locked up the Pelicans. Yo, shout out to Mikkel Bridges, who is incredible as a defender. Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul, like, the whole squad. They play team defense on a string, and individually, Bridges is, is brilliant. And then offensively, they get to their spots that they want, and they execute. Bridges had a phenomenal game. They shot the three-ball well back to what they've been doing all regular season. I said it. I was gonna be, it was going to be a 10-point-plus win last night, and it certainly was. And, you know, I, I see them closing it out in game six. Yeah, I can see that. I was definitely impressed. Look, your boy Triple J, he's got to stay on the floor, man. Like you said, yeah, that's the thing. He's been he's been giving. I mean, I hate to say nothing, but it's been very limited offensively, constantly in foul trouble. We know how I've raved on this show. He's an all defensive player, season, all defensive player. How fantastic to be on defense, but none of that matters if you can't stay on the floor. And you are right about the offensive versatility that needs to improve in the half court for the Grizzlies. I agree with you on that. I, now, you said you did great on the betting. Did you take the Grizzlies? I think it was minus six and a half. Yeah, so, so, yeah. so that's the one I didn't hit. I did not hit the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies points and the, and the, and the, over, under, the over under. But I hit my props because I said 
uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., two-plus blocks. John Morant, 20-plus points. Grizzlies win. Oh, there you go. We got that. Um, Which is amazing to trust Jaron Jackson Jr. for the two-and-a-half blocks in the limited uh, minutes that he plays. I know. I was was sweating that for a while. I was like, oh, come on, bro. And then I I took the points. uh, I won the points and and the over-under on on New Orleans and Phoenix. And I said Chris Paul, 10-plus assists. And uh, Cameron Johnson, two threes. So, yeah. Not 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 a bad not a bad not bad there not bad I, I did pretty I did okay last night except for that Grizzlies spread I didn't do so good on that uh we'll, we'll see so big, big game fives two big wins for the Grizzlies and the Suns there we'll see now the Heat they also advanced to the second round last night our boy Brian Fonseca is extremely happy I talked <laughs> to him this morning he's feeling good they got this win without Jimmy Butler were you impressed by what you saw the Heat do? in this series, particularly how they shut down Trey Young. I mean, yeah, look, <laughs> and, and Trey, you know, uh, listen, I, our boy Murph likes to think I'm a Trey Young hater. I'm not a Trey <laughs> Young hater. Uh, listen, I, I did admit that I went on TV and said he has high bust potential. I own that, right? And he is certainly not that. He is an elite player. But, you know, man, again, playoffs expose your weaknesses. He is probably the worst defender in the NBA. And you see it. And... When you are small and you are your team's primary offensive engine, when you're playing bigger, longer teams like the Miami Heat, that is problematic because the hardest thing to do in the NBA is to score consistently oversized. It's hard, man. Look, I mean, think about it. Kevin Durant, who's seven feet tall, struggled to do it against the Boston Celtics. Trey Young is six foot on a good day. Like, it's just hard to do that, man. And when you don't have the the right flow and balance around you to counteract some of those things, it, it it's tough. But the Heat, you know, this is looking good for them. You get Jimmy some time to rest. You get Kyle Lowry some time to rest because they're old guys. And you hope that that Toronto wins Game Six and extends that series and pushes it to seven. And also, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we'll get to this at some point. But man, Dexter, Philly best win Game Six because if they don't, whoo, you're on mute. I had two friends of mine. Sorry, my, my mic is muted. One second. My mic was muted. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two friends of mine who are both from Philly. And one texted me the other night after the game five loss and was like, yo, are they going to be the first team to blow the 3-0 lead and lose this? And I was like, I didn't want to say anything because I didn't know what to say to them. I, and here's the thing. I'm going to see those guys next week down in Philly. And I, well, if they do it, they, they won't so, be looking at me too nicely. So what happened in baseball, right? Everybody remembers when the Red Sox came back down on the Yankees from being down 0-3. And I remember this clearly. Not It's not like it's something super smart or intelligent. Yeah. But I said, yo, Yanks best win game six. Because if they don't, and what happened game seven, it was over from the first inning. Just It was just, because at that point, once you've come all the way far back that far, the other team who was up 3-0, they're the ones with all the pressure. All the Sphincter's pressure. getting super tight, everybody nervous, worrying about who's getting fired. Who's like, Listen, man, and, and I'm telling you, if that happens, things are changing in, 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 in Philly for sure. Doc Rivers ain't going to be long for that job. I'll tell you that. Whew, that'd be bad. I can't – well, it's going to be real – it's going to be interesting on Friday. I'll tell you that much when we do Friday show, depending on what we talk about. It's going to be very interesting with that. We'll see. Yeah, but no, Heat he was he'd have been impressive. That's fine. Okay. What we wanted to focus on with today's show is we wanted to talk about narratives in the playoffs. 
Gerard and I have long talked about this, and I think Gerard and I will probably say that we are not uh, the kind of people, the kind of journalists that are in this, oh, we buy into the narratives. But we understand that narratives shape a lot of things in the NBA, right? It affects, we've talked about this before in the show, it affects how people vote on certain regular season awards. It affects how fans, and sometimes even us in the media, look at things in terms of how series go or players go. So before, as we kick off this conversation, the one thing I want to ask to Gerard is, are narratives necessary really for us to enjoy this sport, to enjoy the playoffs in particular? There's so much place on these narratives, and I think they have such a weight and effect, at least in my opinion. But are they necessary at all, or would she, should we look deeper into the numbers and the facts? Maybe, maybe that'd be good. I mean, it's weird, right, because they are necessary, not for us. And not right. for and not for diehard people who not only watch every game that their team plays, but watches the league as a whole, right? Because I think you have different kinds of fans, right? You have your casuals, you have your fans who just turn in for the playoffs and the big games, you have your diehards who support and follow only one team, but you have your deep NBA people like us who cover the league and, and sickos who stay up all hours of the night during the week watching West Coast Sacramento Kings games, right? Because we just love the NBA and want to be able to speak intelligently about it. For people at that level, you don't need narratives and storylines because you watch the games. But for the casual, right? Yes, you do. That's how we learn. That's how we tell stories. It's, it's, that's how we, how we explain things. It's through storytelling. And it's who's the hero? Who's the villain? Right? You know, Henry Abbott, uh, my boss, he talks about this all the time. You know, think about it from does your mom or your grandma know about X? And if they have never heard of it, like if, especially if they're not NBA fans, it's not relevant, right? Because that's the majority of people are people like your mom and your grandma, right? Not us. The diehards are the minority. It's the people, it's the casuals. And the way that casual people who wouldn't otherwise watch sports would want to get interested is through narrative and storytelling. So yes, it is important. But when we want to talk about the nitty gritty and drill down into where a player ranks, you know, all NBAs and all that sort of thing, that's when narrative doesn't need to have as much impact as it does. No, that that makes a lot of sense to me. And so there's value in the narrative for the casual fan. And, you know, also, let's also, the casual fan is also very much linked, as Gerard and I've talked about a lot, to television, right? And how television is sold and promoted to the public, right? And this is what generates interest in people watching and that sort of stuff as well, too. So, but narratives, one of the things I want to talk about is narratives definitely affect players and teams, right? Let's look at Brooklyn. We talked about Brooklyn at the at, at the top here. Let's look at Brooklyn. The narrative now with KD, some people are talking. I think some of this is ridiculous. Uh, for example, I saw it. I shared this with Gerard in our group chat with a couple other friends. There was a Twitter spaces. Uh, I believe this was after game three, right? Which was saying somebody was having a discussion. I don't know how it was really a discussion, but is Katie's legacy now affected and tainted because of this Boston series? No, no, <laughs> like, like, no, like that series does not affect everything he's accomplished before. It doesn't devalue anything that he's done, but people are talking about, uh, Katie differently. They're talking about the nets differently, but because of this, the narrative for the nets, I just want to touch on both Gerard's narrative for the nets. was like, Hey, there are these two great stars. You have them. You should be able to win. Now there's some talk, is, is this a failure? And I think it's fair to look at it that it is a failure. But do you feel a narrative around KD and the Brooklyn Nets, is that changing? Is that shifting on us right now in real time? I mean, Kevin Durant may be the most polarizing NBA superstar that we have, right? If not, it's his teammate Kyrie Irving, right? Um, <laughs> but, but, but for different reasons why Kyrie is polarizing. 
you know, I know for a lot of uh, basketball fans, they don't remember that basketball existed before the year 2017. Like, I, I understand that. 2017 is when everyone thinks basketball <laughs> began. Like, I, I, I get that a lot of you believe that, and that's fine. But let me just clue you in on something really quickly here. Before 2017, when Kevin Durant was a member of the Oklahoma City Thunder for nine seasons, he went to the playoff six times. It would have been seven times. The seventh season, he didn't go because he had the Jones fracture. By the way, when he suffered the Jones fracture, that was the team that was kicking the Golden State Warriors' ass that all that regular season. Okay, be that as it may, he gets hurt. They don't go in. By the way, that senior, the Warriors won their first title. Again, didn't have to face OKC with Kevin Durant that year because they didn't make it. Put that away. Those six playoff seasons, he advanced to five conference finals and an NBA finals. So what is this narrative about he doesn't win or can't get it done in the playoffs? Uh, I'm sorry. What what is that? What what, what are we talking about? Excuse me. Four conference finals and and one NBA finals, not five. What, 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 What is that we're talking about here? Well, people, well, people, people too are then going to go into that whole the narrative shifting, which is that he did not get it done until he played with Steph. That that is going. You, this is how these these conversations come come about. You know that. <laughs> and 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 and, it, and and it's asinine because what we're doing is we are we are attributing a team award, which is what the NBA championship is, to individual players. Right. That's not how this works. By the way, a team award, which is a one in 30 lottery chance, right? That's what it is. One in 30. You need tremendous amount. You have to be good, of course. But you need a tremendous amount of luck to also win a championship. Newsflash, folks. And again, I'm not taking this away from the Warriors. I'm just stating a, a position of fact. In 2015, that season, when they won their first championship, I mentioned they did not have to play OKC because OKC didn't make the playoffs. Because Durant was out with the, with the Jones fracture. Every mm-hmm. team they played that postseason had a major injury. Look, again, I am not denigrating the championship. What I'm saying is you have to be good right. and you need luck. You don't advance to four conference finals and an NBA finals without being good. You just get a little bit unlucky, right? Like, shit happens. Yeah, I, well, I'm rooting for the Knicks a lot of time in my life. I, I know this. I know this all too well. But when it comes to the Nets, right? Mm-hmm. The narrative around them, and I, I saw my man Ibrahim. Uh, shout out to you, Ibrahim. I saw you. He checked in here. Uh, he's watching on LinkedIn. He said it has to be said that Katie and Kyrie have totally missed an opportunity to be the team of NYC this year. Not by just losing the game the other day, but more so for dissing the Knicks on the Garden Floor at the end of the season. Uh, they dismissed the Knicks, uh, etc. And he talked about them going back to Jersey and 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 whatnot. Um, the narrative around the net, the Nets being a super team, I think, is interesting, right? And are they still that team? Like, I'm very intrigued as to what the focus will be on the Nets next year. Do they still have these expectations that they had the last two years? Are people coming down on them? Like, I don't know if we really trust them right now. I, I think. Look, here's the thing about the Nets and what their problem is, and narratives around super teams and this and that and whatever. You see that super teams, while the talent is attractive and you're like, ooh, this could be a thing. Super teams are volatile, okay? Not only because of you have to make sure the personality mix chemistry is correct, but when you decide to do that three-tier star max player system in a salary cap sport, if your top three guys are max players, that means 12 through 15, you've got literally no money left. So you're right. doing 
veteran minimums, two-way guys, rookies, and you look, and the problem is if anything happens to one or two of those three max players, you're screwed. You saw that with the Brooklyn Nets, right? Mm -hmm. Kevin Durant was the only player of those three max slots that played every game he was available. When he wasn't injured, he played. Mm. Uh, same could be said about Kyrie Irving. <sighs> we know we, we we know what the what the James Harden situation was. He forced his way out, and then Ben Simmons. We know what that is. So when you and it's not like okay, I can just go replace those two spots. Replace it with what? Right. With what? Right. From where? <laughs> I right. Mean, so instead, you got to try it out Goran Dragic. And again, this is not just to Goran, Patty, or Seth, who played excellently. But you see the warts now because now it's like, oh, we have no size. We have no. Re- yeah, of course you don't because you traded away all your size and your length and your rebounding to get these stars. And this is the problem when you let superstars have control of your organization because they want to bring in commodities and players that they know who've gotten mm-hmm. it done before. That's a human thing. And we talked about this yesterday, Dexter. Yep. As, as human beings, it's hard for us to conceive of something happening if we hadn't seen it yet, right? Again, if you ask anybody, oh, did you see Herb Jones and Jose Alvarado making this much impact in the NBA playoffs? He'd be like, who? People would say, who and who? <laughs> never heard of them and no. And now look what's happening, right? My point being is that just because you've never seen it doesn't mean it can't happen. And right. there is so much talent that exists around that if you trust your organization, and this is what it comes down to, Dexter, is trust. Do these players have trust in their organization to do the right thing and build what's right around them? They said the right things when they got there, right? The, 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 real, the, the, the talk was when Katie and Kyrie signed on in Brooklyn was, man, this great culture in Brooklyn and what they built. Yeah, but you clearly didn't trust it because you wrecked it all within a year that you got there. So, you know, Clearly, LeBron doesn't trust the Lakers to do what's right because you see what's going on there. It's just it is it is terrible, right? You and again, some players have a reason to not trust their organization. It's fair because let's be real, most of these organizations are shitty and do bad things. But if the organizations and the star players work in concert, like Golden State, like Miami, like San Antonio for all these years, beautiful things happen. Yeah. Things can things can happen, and it's it's also the players trusting the narratives of, as you said, the things that they've seen before, right? Oh, there's a narrative that put stars together and they'll win. And you and I have talked about this, so we don't have to belabor this, but chemistry matters. And I think that's maybe one of the things you can look at. And I'm intrigued to see: do we start seeing a narrative shift around this in sports and the NBA that people actually start to awaken to that and say, "Oh, maybe we should care about the people stuff. Maybe we should care about the chemistry." Or are we still going to be like the person with the most star talent is definitely going to win? It is. It's both, right? You look. Golden State doesn't work without Steph Curry. Absolutely San Antonio not. Spurs all those years don't work without Tim Duncan, right? Like Miami Heat don't work without LeBron James and Dwayne. Like you need those kinds of dudes to win, but that's just one piece. All the rest of it has to add up, like you said, chemistry, fit. All of that matters. And trust among the team. You know, Coach Thorpe from True Hoop loves the term royal jelly. And that is that ability. And so royal jelly, for those of you who don't know, that's the food that adult bees secrete out to, to larvae, baby bees, that turn some of them into queens, right? Not all baby bees turn into queens, but some do. If a team spreads out that royal jelly, so the idea is elite talents like LeBron and KD, no matter where they go, they're going to be great no matter where they are. Just about everybody else needs a nurturing, loving, supporting environment for them to reach the best version of themselves. And if the organization doesn't have that, how do you find your Jordan Pools? 
How do you find your Max Struces and your Gabe Vincents, right? All these players who people are like, who? Who actually matter in the playoffs, right? Hey, but when you don't have those, that, that doesn't, you can't find those diamonds in the rough. Yep. It, chemistry is, is important in the organization. I, you know, I see Ibrahim said here says it starts with the coach. I, I agree, E, but I think it even starts higher. It starts with the front office, the, setting the culture and how they, who the coach they hire, the players they draft, all that, all that kind of stuff. I think it definitely starts with the coach when you're filtering it down to the players. Totally agree with that. But even if we go above that, that chemistry matters with the people in the front office liking each other. The people in the front office, as Gerard always says, not necessarily kowtowing to every idea that one superstar says in terms of building a roster, having the the balls, for lack of a better term, to say, no, this is how what we're going to do because our culture is strong here. We actually believe in that. We'll, we'll ask for your input and we'll yeah. take it. We'll but take you, ain't, you ain't going to be uh-huh. deciding what we're doing. Right. And right. And, and but strong organizations can do that. We, like, the, the ones you mentioned, we've seen in Miami, we've seen it in Toronto. We've seen it in San Antonio. We've seen it uh, for about the past half decade or so in Golden State. We've seen that as well. Now, a team you mentioned, you mentioned New Orleans Pelicans and some of their players, Jose Alvarado, Herbert Jones. Could we please go back a couple months ago? You and I were talking about Zion Williamson. We don't know what's up with him and the Pelicans. People were like, oh, New Orleans looks dysfunctional. It's a mess. Now, some people were talking about how they should just tank, get a pick. I'm always a proponent of playing playoff games with young teams matter. It helps. I think it's always a good thing there. Um, they're now in, and now you're hearing a different thing. They've challenged the Suns, Gerard. They've won two games. Now you're hearing about, again, the future is bright. What if we integrate Zion Williamson back into this? We have the, They have the Lakers pick at number eight or possibly higher this year. The narrative around the Pelicans has changed in just a short period of time. Uh do you agree with that? And are, are we jumping? This should, should this be a cautionary tale of not jumping the gun too quickly with an organization? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I was thinking early in the season when they were playing poorly and it looked like, yo, because I said, Zion's got a Jones fracture. He ain't playing this year. I was mm-hmm. thinking, man, do you just tank and and go for the picks? And then you said, you know, as you said, you're like, I'm prone to you playing it out and see what happens. Coach Thorpe, same thing. No, nah, you got to play. You got to, you know, the guys are competitive. It's, it's helpful. No matter what happens in this series, Dexter, yep, this playoff run has been so valuable to this franchise. Not just from a monetary dollar cent, of course it is for that, but from just a team chemistry and camaraderie build. Now, the reason why I said that is because I said, eh, just tank the rest of the season. I didn't foresee a midseason acquisition of someone like CJ McCollum, who is a veteran presence that has stabilized that locker room, right? It's an adult in the room. Listen, the thing we forget a lot of times is these teams are full of 19, 20, 21-year-old kids like who, you know, who are millionaires and who don't really understand what it is to be a professional. CJ McCollum is a professional. He is the uh the he was the former executive vice president or current president of the MBPA. I mean, this is a serious dude who takes the craft of basketball seriously, takes the business of basketball seriously. When you got someone like that. Showing young guys, you know, man, this is how you prepare. That's how you prepare for the playoffs. Now, CJ may not have won championships, but again, you know, I don't care about that stuff. He's had extensive experience about preparing and what it means to do those things. That environment now is ripe for some success going forward. They got talent on that roster decks up and down. If Zion Williamson sees all of this and still wants no part of it, then you got to get him out of there because mm. you don't want that kind of attitude permeating what you're building here right now because look 
I mean, there's no disrespect to Zion, who could be phenomenal. Brandon Ingram, like, you sure he's better than me? Like, right? Like, I mean, okay. <laughs> I mean, B.I. out here, like, uh, I could do some stuff now. And again, CJ might be like, yeah, Zion's got more talent than me, but he ain't achieved what I've achieved in this league yet. <laughs> like, so, you know, I, but, and I'm out of liberty to say some things about, about Zion that I know, but I will say this. He is seeing what's happening there and he's liking what he's seeing. And that's really all I can say about that. But we'll see what happens this summer. And look, shout out to head coach Willie Green Word. and his staff. He deserves like, a lot of credit. Oh man, this dude can coach. Clearly yeah. he can coach. He can coach. I love his in-game, I love his in-game adjustments. He's been he's been doing a great job with that. And the guys seem to respect him. And you know. You you like seeing that. You like seeing something work out. They went for it with the trade for CJ McCollum. I'm glad you brought that up because that also has helped shift the narrative. Narrative because some people didn't like that trade. I was kind of on the fence with that trade. I'm be completely honest. I was like, oh, I don't know if this is the move for them. But that grown up in the room, as you said, Gerard, has proven to do wonders for them. Yes, they only won what? Th- what did they win? Thirty something games, six games, or something yeah. like that. And they got it now. But I agree with you. This playoff experience is so valuable for that young core. Jackson Hayes, Brandon Ingram, mm-hmm. Herb Jones, Jose mm-hmm. Alvarado, you know, all those guys. And they come back hungry, Dex. This this yeah. off this something on worker. Imagine this team with a fully bought in and healthy Zion. They I mean, they could do what Memphis did this year and win 50, 50 plus games and that's not crazy. For, that's not I mean, crazy to think about. It's not talented and, enough. And here's something Knicks fans, and I know our producer Greg is gonna wanna or two did you see what willie green did here he's like i got nothing to lose here i'm gonna play these kids in games down the stretch to get in the playoffs and he's playing the kids in the playoffs i know nick fans have wanted to see that heavy minutes minutes and you see what that happened with the knicks this year at the end of the season they didn't make the playoffs when they played some of the kids and some of the results you saw through that that stuff mattered even though they were games where the knicks didn't make the playoffs there were games kids played trying to get to the playoffs i think that matters too I give head coach Willie Green a lot of credit for getting those kid guys experience, and there's no reason why they can't make that jump. We'll see how the narrative changes on them. Another team and player, Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks. Okay, mm-hmm. this is a team, and, and I, I give Gerard all the credit in the world on this because Gerard was on this from the beginning of the season. He did not like the energy and attitude of the Hawks coming into the season. I personally was not as high on the Hawks, from last season through their playoff run, I still think they have a lot of deficiencies on defense, which bothers me. So I've never done that. Trey Young is literally the worst defender in the league uh, by advanced numbers, or he's at least in the bottom three. I think he was this year. He was not the worst anymore. But he got shut down in the series against Miami, right? It was Ice Trey, killer in the playoffs, did his thing at MSG, all that stuff. Didn't see that here. Atlanta's got some issues. Everybody thought they were going to be the next darlings of the East. All this team could run and win in the East for the next three, whatever, four years. Now, what's the narrative about Atlanta going into this offseason, Gerard? Is this a team that are we even looking at them the same way as this young upstart team? Or is there a lot of changes to be made by Travis Schlenk and the guys down there in Atlanta? Well, Dexter, Travis Schlenk, midway through the season, came, and this is rare for a GM to – unprompted say this is this never happened maybe i shouldn't have brought everybody back Mm. when i heard that i was like oh damn this is about to be it's about to be on in atlanta look nate mcmillan didn't suddenly forget how to coach that that, that's that's not what happened between last year 
and this year. It starts at the top with your best player, that being Trey Young. And Dexter mentioned it. I said it on this show. I've said it on a million other shows. I'll say it again. When he said, you know, it's kind of hard to get up for the regular season after what we accomplished last year, that set off alarm bells and red flags to me. I was like, oh, uh uh-uh, hell no. Listen, man, there is this assumption that people have in this league, and I don't know why, because it's been proven not to be true over the years. A team ascends, a young team, they get to the conference finals, they get to the NBA finals or whatever, and everyone just assumes, oh, they're the team of the decade. They'll be back for the next however many years. No, it doesn't work that way. Every season is a brand new start, and everything is different. And I expected Atlanta to come back hungry super hungry like oh damn we got to the conference finals we went six games with the Milwaukee Bucks and Trey was hurt man if we I I was gonna come with that kind of energy instead they came with the energy of oh man you know it's hard to get up for the regular season I'm like I'm sorry what hard to get up for the regular season I was like y'all ain't done shit yet like you don't have a track record of six seven eight nine consecutive playoff runs and the talent is there it's just that something is not right and look I said this before, I don't watch a ton of Hawks, but I watch enough. I don't always love the chemistry I see there on that team. I'm not, and again, this is not, you know, people like, oh, Gerard's because you're in the tank for the Grizzlies. I mean, yes, I do love the Grizzlies and I am in the tank for them. (laughs) But there is something different about the way that the Grizzlies players rally around their superstar, John Morant, that the Atlanta Hawks players do not rally around Trey Young. And I don't Mm -hmm. know what the reason is for that or why. But it's just, and to me, it's like, they're not, <laughs> producer Greg, they actually like Ja. Well, Greg, I mean, I didn't want to say that, but. <laughs> and if your star player is not engendering that kind of goodwill and support from his teammates, that's not a recipe for success, man. And look, this team is young and super talented. Uh, yeah, Coach Thorpe wrote something for us saying they're going to win a championship in the next five years. I could see it because the talent was there. They had everything you needed, but something's just not connecting right there. And that is what we talked about earlier, Dexter, with teams. It's something chemistry-wise, on the people side of it-wise, that at the end of the day, guys, this is a, a job at work. And sometimes the Hawks players look like they don't like coming to work. And, and, and that's and that's a that's something that's really interesting if that is the case. You know, uh Evia checking and saying Trey Young plays poorly when defended by super aggressive guards. And yeah, sure, we saw aggressiveness and length against him with the Miami Heat, but so see Trey Young, he was the killer. Ice, you know, ice Trey. And we didn't see none of that in the first round. No, uh, you know, no, 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 no cold times in the building. The, the heat, the heat melted all that away. And I'm just, I, I'm just, I'm just wondering how that shifts or, or is E brought up there? Does this fuel him and the Hawks? Is this something, is this a galvanizing point that brings them together? Or is it more that changes need to be made? I think it's the latter. The changes need to be made there. And they actually need some change there. So, something is off. I'm with you on that, Gerard. Something ain't right. It's it's leadership, Dexter. And it's interesting, right? So, like, fans who've been watching basketball for a million years have seen all different kinds of leaders. The one that most people talk about is the Michael Jordan mold, right? I'm not going to say that any of Jordan's teammates enjoyed particularly playing with him, okay? I mean, he punched Steve Kerr in the face in practice once because he was losing. All right. Like, so, I mean, like, let's not like, but it worked and they won six championships through sheer force of will. That's also the Kobe Bryant school of thought, right? 
where I'm going to berate you and grind you into being the best version of yourself. That could work. And it, it works for some people. The other environment, that Steph Curry, that Tim Duncan, that pat on the head, that let me bring you in. That's a more softer approach that, you know, and I want to say soft, I don't mean soft as in like weak. I just meant like right. not volatile and screaming and saying that you're a piece of trash. That works for other people and it seems to go well. The Hawks need to figure out what their leadership style is. And is Trey Young that dude? Like he is their best player. Doesn't mean he's a leader. But is he a leader? Right. And again, different ways of leading. Right. But is his leadership effect? It's like it's like in, in business, Dex. I use this example all the time. Let's say you go work for KPMG or Deloitte or one of these big four firms out of college. You start out three, four years, you follow the track and you're killing it in your function, accounting, consulting, whatever it may be. Well, the career track now says, well, you've been killing for four years, outperforming expectations. You're going to be promoted to senior manager now. Now you have to manage a team of consultants and accountants mm-hmm. and whatever. No, man, just because I was real good at being that job doesn't mean I have the requisite skill set now to lead a team of those people. Right. That those two skills are actually have nothing to do with each other. And, you know, just because you're the best player doesn't mean you know how to lead and lead effectively. Yep. And uh, too, too oftentimes we uh, merge those things together, not realize they are two completely uh, different skill sets. But good discussion on Trey Young and the Hawks. Next thing I want to talk to you about another person. I feel like the narrative on this guy changes game to game. And that's Carl Anthony Towns. One game, he looks great. People are feeling him. Next game, he takes six shots. People are like, where's he going? We know you and I, we talked about this briefly on the phone yesterday. We know what about the talent he has. You and I both had him second team all NBA. We, I think we understand the level of talent that Cat can bring. Where's the narrative going to settle on him? Because I almost am looking at him now. It's like, well, what does he have to do? Is it win this series against the Grizzlies, which is now a tall order? They're down three to two. Does he just have to play well for most of the games in the series? Does he have to show up? It, what, what is it about the narrative with Cat that you see right now in terms of it changing? He doesn't seem to be. I don't want to put him in that Gobert category where I don't think anybody really likes him, but he's kind of like, he's kind of near there. What do you I think? Mean, people, <laughs> Will Smith, Greg, you, you wild it, Greg. Cat, <laughs> um, listen, you said it, Cat's supremely talented, so gifted. And you saw it last night in game five, man. I'm like, damn this dude. But you saw the other parts of the game that people don't like, right? It's like, dude, you're, you're, you're huge. You're a bully. Don't let them take the ball from you like that. Get in there and just like yam on these fools and all that. Cat has a has a problem within his own team right now, though, Dexter. And not a problem as in like he doesn't like them. Problem is, there is a second-year player who everyone loves more and sees as the guy in Anthony Edwards. And that is a problem for Carl Anthony Towns. Because while Ant-Man is real and he just says whatever he feels, and he and, and I want to sound like an old dude on the lawn and whatever. Look, I First of all, I love Anthony Edwards. He's refreshing. I think he's he is a joy. He is phenomenal. He is not better than Carl Anthony Towns. Like, he's just not. Now, I understand what your eyes tell you. Yeah, but he took the game when he shot the three. Yeah, he's fearless and does all, he has all the outward expressions of what we think a superstar is. Much like Donovan Mitchell. Much like any, in Dexter, we talked about this yesterday. Basketball is a funny sport in that. Our brains latch on to whoever does the scoring as the person that matters above everybody else. And the person who's unafraid to take the shot when it matters and do whatever, even though taking a shot when you're draped over by two or three dudes, probably a bad idea. But, you know, whatever. 
that's Mamba mentality and all that Kobe bullshit. Okay, like your oh, Mamba mentality is great, man. Great. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, real great, real great. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, he has that kind of thing to compete with, where it's like, oh, it's are you sure it's Cat and not Anthony Edwards? And because again, as humans, there is this this alphaness that like people tend to gravitate towards. And when you're not an alpha and people think of you as a beta or whatever, you're like, ah, you soft, you this, you that, you whatever. And it's like, guys, there's different ways in which to do what is effective to win. All that being said, Anthony Towns needs to play like he is the best player on the floor because mm. in, even in this series with John Morant, Carl is so gifted, Dexter. Cat can be the best player on the floor. But he he doesn't do it consistently enough. He shows it in spurts. Like in game two, he showed it. And in game four, he showed it. Showed it. But he do, it's like, no, man, I need you to show that shit every single night. And he doesn't. He, it waxes and wanes. And that inconsistency coupled with, let's also be real about this, when you see him on those stupid-ass Twitch streams and his voice sounds a little, you know, not what you, not what people <laughs> want a similar to sound like. Well, right. everybody got, oh, we knew he was like this, da, da, whatever. And I'm like, all right, guys, like, come on. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think people are sometimes a little bit too hard on him. Maybe, yeah, are. I think they're they a little are. too hard on him. And the narrative really just keeps, I feel like it's a roller coaster with him. Like I said, changes um, game to game. Moving along, I want to talk about another guy where I feel like the narrative has really changed in the last couple of years and maybe should change in how we look at him. And that's Devin Booker of the Phoenix Suns. Devin Booker, like let's let's go back for a second, everyone, because <laughs> well, oh, well, we're also going to share you some inside knowledge into our uh, one of our group <laughs> chats here. Somebody <laughs> said, somebody said they thought Tyler Hero could be better than Devin Booker. Somebody, somebody we all know and love said they thought Tyler Hero <laughs> could be better than Devin Booker. The person also said they thought Bam Adebayo could be as good as Kevin Garnett. You could probably figure out who that person is, but. Devin Booker, at the beginning of his career, there was a lot of talk, oh, is he going to work in Phoenix? He's kind of just this guy that puts up numbers in this sort of way. He doesn't impact winning. You heard that a lot around Devin Booker. Would he be traded? Would he get out of Phoenix? Would he go to a bigger market? You heard all this stuff. Now, and I want Gerard to expound more on this because he talked to me about this, and I thought he brought up a good point for this conversation, which is, no, I don't think you can say that at all. When you looked at the playoff run that the Suns had last year, when you look at Devin Booker being injured now, right? And I'm just going to leave it at that for Gerard to take it from there. But I don't think the narrative around this guy is nowhere near the same that it was a couple years ago at all whatsoever. It shows you how quick things can change within one playoff run. Like this literally all it took. One playoff run, folks. So, Gerard. Where do you see that narrative would, would Devin Booker change? And how much of an impact was that just solely the playoff run? Has he been this dude? Has it been that he's gotten better? Or is it really everybody just changed their perception of him because they saw him more on national TV? Now, for sure, Book definitely got better. That happened. No question. He's gotten better every single year. But, Dexter, this is what you and I talked about on the phone yesterday. It's something that fans do with basketball all the time. We think of it as... Five individual games of one-on-one. And that is not what basketball is. It is a team game. Now, 
Yes, it is true that unlike other sports, because there's only five players on a side, one person can have an outsized impact on a game. That part is true, but it is still a team game. Why am I bringing this up? Because the success that a person has in the postseason and when they earn champions and all these different things that we attribute to individuals, yet it's a team function, is a result of how good are the people that play with me? If Devin Booker is playing with four G League dudes, yo, I don't care how good he is. You ain't going to win a lot of games like that. That's just not how this is going to work. All of a sudden, DeAndre Ayton starts developing into his own. They make some proper acquisitions. They acquire the point God in Chris Paul. Okay. Now it's like, oh, Devin Booker really is that dude. Yes, because his teammates have improved, right? You again, this idea that, you know, you're just going to go grab four dudes from in uh, 24 hour fitness and win championships. Like, no, like that's not. That's not a thing. Like, I don't know what you people do when you watch basketball, and that's how your brains work. That's not how you win. Not in today's NBA. You need a roster full of super talented, skilled people who excel at their roles. And that's what Phoenix is right So now, Devin Booker, in the past, he had to do everything. Point guard, create the shots, play the, he had to do everything. Well, now, you don't got to do everything, right? Okay, I can play defense because I'm going to bring the ball up every single time and get us into offense. I got Chris to do that. So I can guard better, right? I can develop my playmaking now because I can be a secondary playmaker and I can accentuate the things I do well, which is shot making, getting into attacking the cup, shooting from three, all the different things. Because he was already someone who scored 70 points. I mean, early in his career. So we knew he could, we knew he can get that off in, the, in this game. But in the NBA, individuals do not win at the highest level. Teams win at the high, no matter what you think about all this Kobe system and Michael Jordan and all this other nonsense. You need teams. That's how this works. Teams. And so Chris Paul, I think, is the Suns most important player. Mm. But Devin Booker is the Suns best player. And you're seeing it now because if Booker's healthy, we're not in a 3-2 situation right now. I think that New Orleans got that one game, but you know, they got that's the game that Booker got hurt in. Let's say that I'll, I'll let's say they, I'll give them that game. Let's say New Orleans wins that game. Fine. I think the Suns win this in five. Right, but they're able to get that second game, and now it's like, oh, we're extending a little bit further than we want to because you are missing someone who's twenty-seven, five and five. I think it was plus three point eight this year in estimated plus minus. I mean, you know, this is an elite player, elite, 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 elite player. Yo, we gotta, we gotta get you to stop hating on the Kobe system here, man. Like, <laughs> yo, man, Kobe system impacted and changed lives out here. You out here hating on the Kobe system. <laughs> fact, he said Kobe system, Michael Jordan, all that nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all that nonsense. Okay, last one, which is this. I say this for last because it's sure to uh, get Gerard fired <laughs> up a little bit. Here's another narrative, folks. We We know the game is sold, as Gerard spoke about, in terms of to the casual fan with stars we understand that if you've watched this this is what it's been but there was some conversation with gerard's boy the king lebron james not being in the playoffs this year that ratings might suffer it might hurt the game something i didn't necessarily agree with because i think there's a lot of great young talent it's now their time to shine and i think we're seeing that so true or false does the nba is the nba worse off right 
or do they need LeBron in the playoffs? I think these playoffs are an example that they don't. But, Gerard, what do you think? Do they need your boy here, especially with that Laker branding behind him, for some winning time in the playoffs? Is that, is, is that what they need? I see you did there. That's the winning time. Look, I, you know, again, when you're talking about the casual fan, LeBron James is a name that every casual fan has known since he was 16 years old. So, again, the NBA is a television show. He is the main star in this TV show. It's like Tony Soprano, right? Everyone, oh, oh, I know who that is, right? But the NBA, what they need to do is, hey, yeah, LeBron matters. Go on on him. But you got stars up and down this league. This Minnesota-Memphis series, excellent. And I'm so glad that only one game was on NBA TV. Was on NBA TV. Everything else has been on TNT and ESPN. Yo, man, put them on prime time. Let the world see John Morant. All right, yep. the world will fall in love with someone like John Morant. The casual fan will get behind John Morant. Um, you know, obviously the Warriors have that equity and that brand name, Steph Curry, and all that stuff. Um, you know, as as we move forward in in the East, you know, the Celtics, Boston's already got a built-in legacy fan base because of them being one of the oldest teams in the league and won the most championships. Yo, or you know, tied for the most, whatever that number is with the Lakers, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, like yo. Those are stars, right? Like, mm-hmm. start shining light on other people. Because I know people know LeBron's going to stop playing basketball at some point. Like, it's going to happen. And we need to have that situation. We're not like, oh, my God, who's our next? There's not about no next. Everyone's next, right? You got stars wherever you look. And you have, and you have stories and narratives. See what I did there? That you can push <laughs> and sell to put out there, right? To then say, ooh, that's a good storyline. So is that one. So is that one, right? Like, any good TV show does. So I think the league is in fine hands. I think that, you know, they need to start thinking about how they push and promote their product going forward because sports watching consumption has changed in the last 20 years. TV consumption has changed. Um, You know, when we were young, Dexter, and the playoffs were, I mean, my God, we would be glued to our television sets as teenagers. Like, yo, teenagers don't do that now. And teenagers who play ball don't do, don't even do that. And that's, and that's a problem. And so the league's going to start figuring out, okay, how are we going to make this so that we get people to not maybe not tune into the old model, but tune in at all, right? Into however we want to we want to sell this TV show. Yeah, and that's something they're going to have to figure out. All right, really great conversation around NBA narratives. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, yo, Gerard says he wins y'all money every week, all the time. That's what he does. We might have to start calling it the Gerard winning system because he <laughs> won't call it the Kobe system. Hell no. At all Hell no. But Gerard always says, I don't want to say wins your money all the time. He says you're guaranteed to win at least one. And that is not a hot take, folks. When we come back, we're going to do our NBA picks. Only two games tonight. We'll tell you how we are going to bet on those when we come back on the NBA Exchange. Are you looking for a better way to play player props or daily fantasy sports? Well, look no further than Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the leading over under daily fantasy game. Why? Because it's so easy to use and win. You can make your picks in under 30 seconds and win up to 10 times your money in one day. Right now, we have a special offer for our viewers and listeners of the NBA Exchange. All you got to do is sign up now and use the promo code NBAEX. Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Yep. That's right. They'll match your first deposit up to $100. So join the over 150,000 others who found a better way to play. Download the Prize Picks app today. 
Definitely check in on that prize picks promo code NBA EX. Use that to sign up today. Uh, we thank you guys for rocking with us uh, today on the show. So, betting. Gerard's going to win you some money. We got two games tonight. Light schedule tonight as we got some teams already up out of here. Some teams that have moved on to the second round. Some second round games will start this weekend, hopefully. Uh, maybe Philadelphia will be in a game seven. We will see about that. That could be on Saturday. All right. First game tonight. This this game and this line. Woo, we're talking Bulls, Bucks. A lot going on for the Bulls. Zach Levine in COVID protocols. He's out. Alex Caruso in concussion protocols. He is out. You see the line here on the screen. Yes, that is correct, folks. Bucks favored minus 12 and a half. Gerard, uh, are you liking this? Is this a stay away? Is it too many points for you? Uh, how are you seeing this one? I mean, it's, you know, anytime you see big numbers, lines in the playoffs, it's always kind of makes you nervous, right? You're like, I don't know, man. I don't think. But as you mentioned, no Caruso, no Zach Levine. DeMar DeRozan's going to have a heavy burden unless he, and he's capable, unless he's having one of those 50% shooting nights from the mid-range. I don't know where Chicago generates it. I mean, I guess Vooch can shoot a bunch of threes. But look, I, I just, I think Milwaukee wins this handily going away because they know they got Boston in the next round. And Boston's been resting since Monday. And Chicago, Milwaukee does not want this to extend to a game six. They do not. They're like, no, no, no. We know. We want to defend our title. We want to give Chris Middleton some rest and all that jazz. So, look, I, I think the Bucks win big tonight. I like that. I like the like that that line there. Um, if you're looking at single game uh, single game parlays, take the Bucks win. Giannis, 30-plus points. I think that's an easy one. Uh, if you want to get a little spicy, you can go uh, Bucks win, Giannis, 30-plus and Vucevic, two and a half plus threes, right? If you want to get spicy with it, uh, but you know, but I think I, I think this is this is a, a Bucks walkover, pretty pretty easy. The thing for me is I like that single game parlay. The Bucks winning the Giannis plus thirty plus points. I worry about that a little bit if the game gets to such a blowout because you think it'll be out of hand. You mm, think that they that they sit Giannis that they'll cover mm-hmm. that they sit Giannis. That's my concern in this. I do see this be a blowout. It's one of these rare occasions where I'm like, yo, actually kind of comfortable with the 12 and a half i'm usually nervous about that in the playoffs so i'm with you on that gerard but i'm kind of comfortable with 12 and a half i think it's a good bet throw a couple dollars down in there i don't think that can hurt at all wouldn't shock me uh if you also saw drew holiday look at maybe some over under stuff with him Mm -hmm. wouldn't shock me if he had a good game maybe a little bit north of 22 points i might feel comfortable with that i think that's one to look at also putting some money on demar derozan isn't bad He's going to jack. I don't he know if he'll score efficiently. <laughs> right. He has to. That's probably why I like that player prop better with Vooch in the threes because mm-hmm. I think you can see some action with him there. I don't know if you're going to get the, DeMar DeRozan over 25 points or they try, or maybe they let him score and they try to say or double him and try to say mm-hmm. have other guys beat him. And we'll, yeah. we'll see, which is, I think, what the Bucks might do. But either way, 12 and a half generally would tell you to stay away. It's a lot in the playoffs. Tonight, I think I think this might be uh, I think this might be easy for the reasons that Gerard mentioned and that Bucks want to take care of this and they know Boston's been resting and they want to go uh, get a little bit of rest that they can as well too. All right, last game of the night it'll be the Denver Nuggets versus the Golden State Warriors. Nine point spread favoring the Golden State Warriors in this one. Gerard, how are you feeling about this? Denver executed pretty well down the stretch in Game Five. Uh, excuse me, Game Four the other day. Now here in game five, 
What do you think happens in this one? You know, they needed Draymond to foul out in that fourth quarter to kind of help them along with that. I, I still think nine's a big number. I do think the Warriors win tonight. I don't know if they win by 10. I think Denver's going to fight and keep it close. Although the problem is you're on the road, and on the road you need Monty Morris and Aaron Gordon to be good. And I mean, you're asking for a lot. You're, you're, <laughs> you're, a lot. you're, you're asking for a lot. So I, I may uh, find an alternate spread there and bring that down just a little bit just to be a little more comfortable. And if you're looking at single game uh, props, I like uh, Curry and Clay to go both have 25 plus points tonight. Um, and, and, and the Warriors win. If you want to do that single game parlay or take one, either one of them for a single prop. Uh, if you're looking for Jordan Poole, three plus threes, Nikola Jokic triple double, anything in that, in those range should give you guys uh, some decent money tonight. Yeah, I I like the I like the Warriors winning too. A little bit slightly uncomfortable with the minus nine would probably go down to a minus seven. I've seen some lines just checked it, so it's at eight and a half. So they have to win by nine or more for you to win. So okay, maybe you can get that down to minus seven. Eight seems like a number of more than winning that could be pretty comfortable with. However, I think this series is over tonight. The Nuggets don't have anything on the road. Golden State, we saw through the first two games uh, in San Francisco, they have smashed them. I think the same happens tonight. I think they want to get their rest. They're probably looking ahead. They know Phoenix is definitely going to have to play game six. They want no parts of that. They know that uh, their their next opponent, uh, which is Minnesota least, mm-hmm. or Minnesota, is at least going to play game six. So they want to get their rest, too. I think teams like that, them motivated. Curry's looked great. That team's look like a well-oiled machine back to what they are. I I think they end this tonight. Uh, if you like them by like seven points, a little bit more, you know, I said line of eight and a half, you feel good at nine, fine. But I think this is a this is a good bet tonight. And I like some of the props that Gerard said. Also, why not throw a couple dollars down on Jokic getting the triple-double? He probably wants to go out with some of a bang. My problem with the, with the triple-double for Jokic is he the just assists. won't necessarily get the assist because you can't trust those dudes to hit shots. That's the thing. It's a long shot, mm. but you're really that if you if they get a triple double from Jokic, that means other dudes are hitting and then they probably win. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I don't see that happening. Um, so you're, you're gonna get a long great odds on that, but I it's it's those yeah, are the odds for one. a reason. They're mm-hmm. the odds for the reason. All right, hopefully win some money. That is the Gerard system out there because the dancer <laughs> won't be the Kobe system. That is the Gerard system there. All right, the that's going to do it for this edition of the NBA Exchange, NBA with Nuance Wednesdays. No hot takes here. Told you we didn't get any hot takes. We played the Brooklyn, played the Brooklyn Nets, the proper respect, and the Atlanta Hawks, too. You saw that tonight. Thank you to everybody checking in. Uh, shout out to my man, Manny Ibrahim. So you checking in on LinkedIn. Also, Wesley checking in. We appreciate you. Uh, continue to follow the NBA Exchange, support us, and whatever we do. Check out Gerard, his work on True Hoop. They'll have another episode of Bring It In coming in on Friday. Also check him out on the Seven Footers podcast uh, and the betting show where you get the Gerard system every Tuesday night. Every You'll Tuesday get that as, as well, too. I'm about to go back to my week of relaxation because it didn't end with my birthday. I'm not into doing the birthday month, but we're going to stretch this out for a week. We're going we're gonna to have this uh, We're gonna have this feeling good. We're, we're going to do that. He's Gerard Hector. I'm Dexter Henry. Until next time, y'all. Peace.